asked my parents if I could go study abroad and found a random host family in Monteverde, Costa Rica. And then basically found this crazy school. And for the second half of my sophomore year, I lived in Costa Rica for, for eight months. The summer after that, I spent basically three months in Nepal at this crazy Buddhist monastery. Then I took a gap year after that for about seven months, backpacked and worked at all these companies and farms all over Chile. So I think it's kind of been compounding is that this first experience showed me like, honestly, how, how boring traditional life and the traditional societal path is. I really never wanted it and continue to not. Welcome to Babson Built, where we showcase Babson founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the change makers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for being on the show today. And yeah, we're really excited to hear more about what you're doing in the uh, household goods cleaning space. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. One thing I have always been wondering about you is uh, how how did you first get into this space? Yeah, so basically was a Babson and always wanted to build a company, but you know, really didn't know where to go with it, where to start, or even if I had anything, right? Um, then finally was doing my laundry detergent and looked at the back and there were no ingredients listed. And I'm born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, super hippie and crunchy to my core. And it was really fascinating to me. Like, why were there not ingredients on the back of this laundry detergent, which I put on my clothes or put on my skin, which I sleep in? So I did a ton of research and basically found out that zero of the current cleaners or personal care products are actually regulated. So you have the USDA, you have the FDA, but really no regulatory body with cleaning products and personal care products, right? So I found this really dirty industry. So then I looked for alternatives, right? I looked at the current green cleaners on the market. So that was seventh generation, that was Method, and that was Mrs. Myers. And basically the same three things happened, which is each of these brands. The first was that they used heavy petroleum packaging. So it was very ironic to me that a better for the world brand would use oil-based packaging at scale, right? Not just a little bit, but a ton. If you've seen any retail, you know how much packaging is in cleaning products specifically, right? Um, the second problem was that I used these brands and they didn't clean very well. And I thought we could do better and maybe naively, but I still thought we could do better. And really the third problem was that when I looked at the back of a seventh generation, for example, I still didn't understand the ingredients. So basically it was like, that was the inspiration to, I think we need to create a brand that could actually do better than the brands and look better than the brands and have plastic prepackaging. Yeah. And you've got like a whole line of products now. So which did you start with, I guess, and how have you now moved into this new product lines? Basically, we started simply with laundry pods and we saw that this laundry detergent, specifically products in big orange bottles, is very bad. And that's specifically the product that we wanted to tackle first. So we did, right? We, um, we launched then in the summer at the Summer Venture Accelerator, actually at Babson, which was an amazing program for us. And long story short, from like thought to launch, you know, it took a long time. So we thought that laundry detergent is the industry. Um, and then it was like, okay, how can we really differentiate? And then we worked with a lab in California to actually launch the first laundry pods. But it was a really long process. From start, we knew that we needed to start with laundry pods was maybe October of 2015. Um, and from actually launching it with a summer venture accelerator on the Kickstarter that was eventually successful that summer. So this was summer of 2016. Took about nine months just to get there. 
And then we didn't actually start fulfilling the products until after the Kickstarter in August, September, October. So, you know, it's just a lot longer. And I think we've gone through a lot of iterations of launch. We launched with that first product then. Then we launched in Puerto Rico with the laundry pods. It is number two for non-toxic laundry detergent. Then the hurricane hit. So then we launched again with a full suite of products. And that wasn't until fall of 2018. And now officially we're launching with the entire suite with our plastic-free refills and really, really launching. Um, so, you know, it's been a ride. It's been a long, uh, long journey so far. Yeah, it sounds wild. How did you? How did the hurricane affect your product line? I'm just wondering how that factors in. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, after this Kickstarter that we did pretty well at, um, it was like, okay, there's a niche here. There's an opportunity. There is a space in the market that is not being fulfilled. People like our products. People like our brand. And I think what really is not touched on, I think a lot is is branding, specifically with like boring consumer goods. So everything from like Q-tips to toothbrushes, you see this huge wave of brands coming in, disrupting the space, not even having superior products, but specifically brand building. And ideally, we have a superior product. And this space of cleaning specifically is so boring, right? That I think branding has been one of the key things. So not, not to jump around a bit, but basically, we launched a Kickstarter. We realized that there was a space in the market. And then it was like, okay, what next? So didn't have enough traction to raise a seed round didn't have really enough traction to raise a large angel round. So basically what we did was apply to the accelerator in Puerto Rico and got recommended by a friend, had no idea what this accelerator was, uh, didn't even know what Puerto Rico was, to be very honest with you. I knew it was an island. I knew that it was a territory. I knew that was a complex relationship, but did not know much about the island. We got accepted then. So that was this wild, basically big life-changing moment that um, basically we got 40k in grant funding a little bit more once we got there and it was like okay we can truly dive into this and launch so we moved to the island of puerto rico and we basically fell in love with the talent there turns out that over 60 percent of the world's pharmaceuticals are actually used to be based on the island and basically they moved in the early 2000s because of a tax policy change so what was left there was great scientists labs universities without really much to do so we hired a PhD chemical engineer, and we launched our first product on Amazon. We made it actually to number two for non-toxic laundry detergent on the platform. And again, we had some really great traction. It was like, I think we have something. And then the hurricane hit, and we lost a lot of the fulfillment and basically had to take a step back. So that was kind of where we were. The manufacturer actually continued to produce during the hurricane. They were amazing. They were superb. But it was actually a lot of the transportation from the island to the U.S., to our distribution point. So the manufacturer did an amazing job throughout the entire hurricane. Uh, but it just it's a really complex thing. So we kind of had to start from square zero after, after Maria. Wow, yeah. It's amazing how the natural world can really come out of nowhere and just say, actually, we're in control here. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to hear your perspective, having gone to a place where they've seen a lot of people come in for industry, but then leave quickly. And how do you think that Clean Cult is having an impact in that area? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, so after Maria, we came back. And basically now we have a team of five full-time, well, four full-time people there. Um, we're investing $400,000 in research and development this year on the island and $1.2 million next year in research and development. So really, I think we've shifted production on the island to really research and development. We found amazing chemical engineers, amazing universities who were just awarded the National Science Foundation Small Business Innovation Research Grant. This was a really great honor and some really good grant funding from the federal government um, to do this. So... Really, our new focus is research and development in Puerto Rico. 
and we'll continue to do that. Over the years, you've already experienced so many different things, I'm sure, in your business. Like, what was like a moment you were really frustrated? In? I think for me, it's always been frustrating in the gaps, right? So when we did Summer Venture Accelerator and launched that first product, it was really exciting. You have a lot of great press. We got featured in the Boston Globe and people supporting you and a lot of good momentum. And then you have the gap after the program, after the launch, after the fulfillment, between the next thing, right? And those have always been really frustrating, specifically that because we did not know if we're going to get enough funding to get to this next phase because consumer goods inherently take a lot of money to manufacture products, right? And then there was another gap then between we got accepted to Parallel 18 and we launched this great first launch, got all this momentum between basically the next gap, right? Then Hurricane Maria hit and we had another gap of really low periods. And then in each of these low periods, we're obviously still working and trying to make it work, but without funding, without momentum, without a lot of, you know, just with a lot of support, you always wonder like, is this going to work? Um, if you have, let's say five, six months of no revenue, like, what are you going to do, right? How do you tell that story to investors, to customers who are really loyal? Like, how do you tell that? And then again, in the gap after that, right? After our great launch on, for example, um, Puerto Rico, we launched again on Indiegogo. And that was a fantastic launch. We did really well, sold over 10,000 units. But again, there was a gap after that, after we fulfilled in launching the full suite with the full plastic refills. So I think it's honestly taken about um, just a long time to get to a place where we don't have these gaps, where we have consistent growth with consistent numbers with a great team behind us. And the gaps for me are specifically frustrating. Every entrepreneur starts somewhere. Are you looking for your beginning? The Blank Center for Entrepreneurship is where Babson's emerging entrepreneurs connect with the events, workshops, mentoring, and competitions that they need to build their businesses. This spring, the Blank Center will present its new venture competition, the Beta Challenge, which recognizes Babson businesses for taking action. Join the Babson community on Thursday, April 11th at the Beta Challenge finale and watch the top alumni and student teams compete for more than $200,000 in cash and prizes. To learn more, please visit www.babson.edu slash beta challenge. Going back a bit, when did you first start feeling like you were entrepreneurial? Like, why did you go to Babson and choose this life for yourself? That's a good question. I think I got really antsy, born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, and very outdoorsy and athletic. But I think a lot of people in Colorado specifically always think the same way, act the same way, and do the same things, right? They're all athletic. They all kind of have very similar views on the world. And I was like, you know, I don't want this. So, well, all the time, right? It was a great place to grow up. So I actually um, asked my parents if I could go study abroad and found a random host family in Monteverde, Costa Rica. And then basically found this crazy school. And for the second half of my sophomore year, I lived in Costa Rica for, for eight months. The summer after that, I spent basically three months in Nepal at this crazy Buddhist monastery. Then I took a gap year after that for about seven months and backpacked and worked at all these companies and farms all over Chile. So I think it's kind of been compounding is that this first experience showed me like, honestly, how, how boring traditional life and the traditional societal path is. I really never wanted it and continue to not. And I think startups, specifically when we're like, when you're mid-20s, let's say, um, it's the only opportunity to do this 
at scale and challenge yourself to that level. What do you think it is that drives you deep down to create your business? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that every company has a mission statement, right? Ours is to clean it up, the world, our clothes, and our home. And I think while the mission statement drives me, I think for me specifically, it's building a business that's lasting, right? Yes, we want to continue to grow like crazy in Puerto Rico because every person we hire has this ripple effect and then they stay and then more of their friends stay, right? And then they can like, it really is one of the the most rewarding things I've done is to have full-time hires on the island that are just really, really talented human beings. I think that's one of the reasons I want to continue to build this. I think maybe the second is to clean it up, right? The world is crazy covered in plastic. There's just so many problems right now. And I think the third reason is just to to prove that, you know, I can build this. I think as a first-time founder, there's a lot of, there's quite a bit of obviously self-doubt and sometimes you have the um, imposter syndrome. And I really want to build this company to compete with the largest brands in the country. So a lot of it, maybe that's based half in ego and half in investor commitment. But I think it's all three of those things. How has, I guess, your increasing success changed the way you see and do business? So when you start, you're much more basing your vision on where you could be. And it's all about, in a lot of ways, like vision and hope and optimism. And as you get bigger and as you grow and it becomes a real business at scale, it's much more about much less about who, like who you will be and much more about who you are. So I think the transition for me specifically has been a lot more metrics driven and a lot more like data driven is that it's not just about selling the vision as a founder anymore. It's about, you know, what is our customer acquisition cost? What is our lifetime value? How does the churn play into this? Like what's our funnel look like from top mid to lower? So I think it's been, you know, really heartening that it's been able to take a vision and turn it into reality. But I think the process from reality to vision takes time. Um, And I think that's really how I've done business a lot differently. And how has it been uh, building up your team? Yeah, so it's, it's been a process, right? I think that you have to continue to sell the vision. So for us, we had two big hires in Puerto Rico early. They've been really key for us. And that's what I say. I think that it's a little bit sad given today's millennial day and age People leave their companies instantaneously if there's ever any like rough patches, right? Oh, we're not making enough. We're not doing X enough. And there's just so much churn there. Whereas in Puerto Rico, our first two hires went through thick and thin. when We almost died throughout all of it, right? Um, sorry for the noise outside. <laughs> I'm still in New York City with the, with the fire truck. Um, no, don't worry. Day in the life. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and I think our biggest hires in New York City specifically has been... Um, tough because there's a lot of like there's a lot of competition for talent it's just taken time i think me personally it's been able to really do like relationship mapping i think that's the biggest thing to build a team is understanding like who you have in your network who your network of network have in their network and then understanding what it takes to actually convince someone to join a team and i think it's part support part kindness part being able to paint the vision part currently painting the metrics. I think it just takes a lot to really convince a senior person to leave an organization. Um, so I think that's been a learning curve for me and it still will always be a learning curve, I think. What's uh, one thing that you would recommend to aspiring entrepreneurs uh, to take their business to the next level? Yeah, I think it's getting out to the market as soon as possible with as rough of what you have as possible. I think we build on so many assumptions nowadays that it's hard and you just have to get it out to the market to get some feedback, right? So as quick as possible, be it 
design it in wireframes and see what people react. I also think you just have to be ready for like a four to eight year commitment. And I don't, I don't know if I expected that when I started. And if you really do start something and you're really committed for this, it's going to take four to eight years or more, right? And I think that is the biggest piece of feedback. Like, Make sure you are truly in this for at least four years if you actually want to start a business and you actually want to make it work. What does your next few years look like or you know, looking into the future, where do you want to be? Yeah, so we, we really, really exciting. We moved to New York City. We have an office now in Soho and also in San Juan. Um, we just closed our seed round. So it's a, it was a $1.5 million round. Um, we're launching nationwide in the container store. We were just featured on Yahoo yesterday. Um, we're going to be in good housekeeping hopefully later this month. Gotten some really, really great momentum right now um, because specifically of our plastic-free cleaning options. And I think with that, it's garnering like recurring customers that love what we're doing that we can acquire at scale. So our next year, um, not to be like, not as, what is it? Not, not to paint it, not like really exciting, but it's getting back to the metrics, right? It's getting to how can we acquire customers at scale? How can we make them love us so much? How can we serve their problems to the best of our ability? And then it's also really finding one more retail partners. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, for coming on Babs and Bill. It's been really great having you on the show. Likewise. Thanks again for having me and uh, just thanks for the support. Thanks for listening to this week's Babs and Bill, where we showcase Babs and entrepreneurs and founders. If you have a second, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We take feedback seriously here at Babson Built, and it helps other listeners find us. If you know a Babson entrepreneur who should be featured, email us at babsonbuilt at gmail.com.